you're in recovery though, right? I am. So how, yeah. much, how much time do you have now? So I will knock on wood have 10 years next month, what? literally next month, like on this day. What? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and it's actually kind of cool because I, like, I think about it every year. I, I went, am I allowed to say names of things? Is yeah. That, okay. Okay. So I went to Timberline Knowles, yeah. um, and life changing. And one of the people that was there, her name was Megan, but she did DBT. Um, and so she's therefore DBT Megan only ever in my head. But like her birthday is today. Like I sent her a text, like as I was driving here and every year, I'm just like that woman, I like, I've expressed it to her so many times and I still like get teary, like thinking of it. Like I was so, by the time I got there and actually said like, okay, fine, I'll go to, to rehab. Mm -hmm. Um, I like didn't trust anybody, didn't want to talk to anybody, didn't really care, was just kind of like, it was kind of one of those things where it was like, okay, you're like, what are you going to do? Cause clearly you can't function at work. People are calling you out, right? Like yeah. I've got managers calling my parents being like, hey, <laughs> this kid's not okay. Um, and you know, I'm like, my parents are also like, hey, get help. You know, this is what you need to do. And so being the person that I was, I was just kind of like, okay, whatever, this is the easiest route. Um, and I, I went there and I remember I went and I sat on the floor in her DBT room. Um, and I refused to like participate. I like sat in the corner, sat on the floor. It was like day two of me being there. Yeah. And I just cried like the entire time. And then like when group was over, she sent like everybody else back to like the lodges. Um, and she was like, no, I'm just like, I'll stay here. And I just, I remember she sat on the floor with me and like she brought tissues and I was like, here we go. Here's, <laughs> like, here's a therapist that's going to be like, let me fix you. Let's start talking. And she just sat there and I was like, okay, what is she doing though? What's like, her what? game? Yeah. Now I'm like, now I'm really suspicious of you. You're not even playing the right game. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I don't know this one. And then she like, all of a sudden she like, I like stopped crying because you hit a point. And she yeah. like hands me tissues and and she's like, you know what? You have a case of the fuckets. It's fine. Like we're gonna fix it. And I was like, wait, what? And she was just like, yeah, no, it's it's all gonna be okay. That's fine. And like, I don't know. Like I think it was just the fact that there was no like, not I. No one had ever told me like you can't cry, you can't do this, you can't do that. But it was it was the way that it was. There was no judgment there was no it's like you were okay it was okay to be where you yeah. were yeah no it was the first time that like i sat somewhere like completely broken and like nobody was like explain to me what you're thinking they were just like it's okay it like we'll deal with it don't worry about it um and so i you know like every year i like think about that like as this date approaches and and like i'm always just like oh like you like just by being who she was, I was like, you made such an impact in my life. Like not even like trying to be a therapist in that moment. Later on, we got into the therapy, but yeah, like, yeah. you know, in that moment, like, and I try to think about that with like all of my clients now, like as I come in is like, how do I normalize like where you're at and like let you be there and like hold you in that space without trying to be like, let's fix it because you know, that was that was like a game changing moment for me. Yeah, for sure. But it's just like the striving to like get better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's okay to be where you're at right now, but like let let yourself feel this and then let's let's move forward. Right. Yeah. And that's what like she I 
I had done some DBT before. Um, like What's I DBT again? Yeah, so DBT is dialectical behavioral therapy. It mm-hmm. was created by this woman named Marsha Linehan. I can go on for days. We literally, Megan would have us celebrate Cinco de Marsha because her birthday is in Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> and so like we would have a celebration. It was a whole thing. Um, but DBT, what it does essentially is like CBT says is like the basic therapy, right? Like CBT is like the grounding of everything. Um, and CBT essentially says, here is a problem. This is what you do instead, right? Like it doesn't leave... It, there is space for, but it doesn't as much leave space for the validation and the, the um, like maladaptive coping skills that like people are, are struggling with, right? So like, for example, self-harm. Mm-hmm. It says cutting is bad. You don't cut. This is what we do instead. And it's like, you know, breathe in lavender or whatever, you know, your hold ice, whatever you're going to do. All very valid things. So are you saying, are you saying like DBT validates yes. what your actions a little bit more? Yes. Example? So DBT, what happened, so it was created by this Marshall Linehan woman. Um, and she had been in and out of institutions and things her whole life. She, she ended up coming out later and saying like she was actually diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And so she's also a clinician. And so she was like, I'm going to create this therapy based on like my experience and people I've worked with. And, and like she picked people that were very treatment resistant and how do I help them? And what she kind of found, it was originally founded like for um, borderline personality disorder, but they found it to be helpful in so many other things because what it does is it takes both truths, even if they're opposing and holds them as equal. So like, that's why I can like look at a client and say like, you know what, like you using drugs, that was your coping skill. And like, I can say that hundred percent without judgment, that was your coping skill, right? Like if you relapse, that makes sense to me. It was your coping skill. That's ultimately most of the time it's what like my what clients you know. will say kept you alive, yeah, yeah. right? Like it was like, I, I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard like, well, it was either that or suicide. And yeah. so like, how am I supposed to look at you and say like, that's bad. Yeah. Don't ever do that again. Right. And so the thing I love about DBT and I think like the thing that made such a big difference for me as I started to learn about it was like, for once it wasn't somebody saying like cutting is horrible and you need to stop that that's a horrific thing it was somebody saying like hey i get it that's how you've been surviving how do we do something different Mm -hmm. so there was no like invalidation of like but that's bad now we're gonna do this it was like that i feel like that's how a lot of almost rebellion comes about yeah that's bad don't do that and then like our as like an addict, I feel like our nature is uh-huh. to rebel. Like, <laughs> right. you tell me not to do that, I'm going to do it. Right. I'm going to do it. I know it's hurting me. I'm going to do it, though, because you said that I can't have both. Right? Yeah. Like, you have now said that I can't get better and still, like, have this as a thing. Right? And so, like, I, like, when, when I look at myself, obviously, perfectionism is not a diagnosis. However, the root of, like, a lot of my stuff comes down to, like, perfectionism. And so like then also if you tell me and that's why like a lot of times too i'll i'll refer to it as like a recovery date um and i've done that with clients too where like when perfectionism is your thing and you keep getting like let's say you get a week you get 14 days you get whatever and then like you slip up in one thing and so like say if you're someone like me and you're you're dealing with like substance stuff you're dealing with self-harm you're dealing with everything else disordered eating like all that kind of stuff right so let's say like you know, you've got sobriety for like 10 years and then something really horrific happens and like all of a sudden you, you know, you purge or something like that. 
I don't, you know, for somebody that is struggling with so many ideas of trying to be perfect, that's a huge setback to like then say like, oh, do you have to reset? Do you have to do this? Do you have yeah, to do that? Yeah, so you're saying like the recovering day is like... When did you decide to change? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've absolutely done that with clients that have like, you know, they've tried like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And a lot of times with substances, like I'm like, like we, we can't, especially like... If it's like marijuana, alcohol, not minimizing, very dangerous, right? Yeah. However, I'm less afraid if you relapse on that than if you relapse on like heroin or fentanyl. For sure. I'm a lot more terrified if that happens, right? Like if it's alcohol or something, it's not great, but I'm still like, okay, we can try again. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's still really, I feel like alcoholics are almost like a different breed though. There's, ev- it's, it's almost crazier. Yeah. I think so. And like weed nowadays is being laced with fentanyl. Like I just had a yeah. friend like a, two weeks ago. Her we, her blunt was laced with fentanyl. That's, and she didn't even know it was a yeah. thing. She was like, whoa, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, because who would think, right? Exactly. Like that was that was not the thing. It was like the party drugs, the pills, the you know, the things like that. And and um that's what this must be the place just posted like they post an article every day about something in the news pertaining to like substance, things like that. Um, and they posted an article on that too. And I was like, oh my God, like now, okay, now we've hit, like, I think it was in an edible or something. And I was like, now we've hit next level even like, why are we doing? And then we hit the level with like, now they're putting like the tranquilizers in it. More tranquilizers. There's like, so people started being like, oh my God, like naloxone isn't working. Naloxone isn't working. And it was clearly an overdose. Like the signs were all checking out. Um, And what they started to find out is that like, yes, the people had the fentanyl and stuff in it, but the reason that it wasn't working was because they were also putting this like tranquilizer in it now. And so the naloxone won't work on that, you know, which is unfortunate Yeah. (laughs) uh, because now we're battling different things. Wait, so why would they be putting, what's the tranquilizer's purpose to like not come back from an overdose? It's, It's stronger, yeah. And I'm sure that there's some kind of economic, like maybe it's cheaper. I don't know how you get cheaper than yeah. fentanyl. Like fentanyl seems to be like oh, bottom, dude. but yeah, it's it's a different it's a different rush. It's a different high, and you know who knows why they do what they do. You know, like why are you, for example, like somebody that's trying to use cocaine wants to be up, right? So why are you putting fentanyl in it? That doesn't like there's no rhyme or reason behind what they do. I, yeah. you know, they it's say, not like they we're dealing with for... pharmacists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they say they, they say they do that for it to be more addictive. But it's like, fuck, dude. Well, and it is right. Because like it's, you know, from everyone that I've talked to that that's used fentanyl either on purpose or accidentally, like they'll come back and they'll be like, I have never had a rush like that. And I'm like, you died. Yeah. And they're like, they're like, I know, but <laughs> hear me yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, all right. So I mean, it, you know, it absolutely it works. And there was, I remember um, when all that like first started happening, and it first started like cutting in. Um, I I had said to one of my coworkers because like I finished my I finished my degree and and I did. Um, oh yeah, what do you have a degree in again? So I am in Michigan. Um, I have a license as a professional clinical counselor. Mm-hmm. And then out here, I am working towards that licensure part because California is insane. 
so my degree is in professional clinical counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I specialized in co-occurring disorders and adolescence. Um, and then after that, came out here and did a program at UCLA in substance use. Nice. Uh, yeah. So I, because it's always like been interesting to me. Like it's fascinating to me that like you, like even in my own head, I'm like, I know that these things are bad, but like, I think I can control it this time. Right. And so like that's no the delusion matter, we live in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no matter what the behavior is. Right. Like you're the, even if you're looking at like disordered eating or like um, or cutting or something like that. Right. Like, like you, I can do this like in a yeah. controlled, like healthy, healthy way. Right. Right. Like I can do it this one time and I'll just yeah. control it from now on. Like, right. It was just this one meal set me over the edge and I'll be OK. Like yeah. I just have to get through this one moment. So like I'll just cut somewhere here and not think. And like the thing I always tell clients, because like people don't realize that like when you engage in self-harm the same chemicals in your brain that get released during using drugs get released during that yes i've heard i like yeah. did some research on that yeah and so clients will be like it's i addicting. just can't shake it i don't understand like i crave it and like i don't get it and and you'll have clients that are you know using substances that are like you don't understand a craving and i'm like no actually they do yeah let's back up because like it absolutely is like the same kind of rush and and people unfortunately like you know you you get hooked and you trick yourself into being like i can do just this one time i had interviewed somebody just a few days ago and i was like was it was cutting something like you instinctually felt like you had to do like hurt yourself or like did you like see it on tv or did was a friend doing it and she said like it was instinctual like i really wanted to hurt myself and i got like a, a release out of it yeah that's a lot of times like that's people don't realize that it's like the same rush that people get like when they use drugs or it's like okay everything is balanced now is the same rush that happens like when you engage in self-harm and it's i actually like laugh about it a little bit now like looking back i like i have this one friend that's always like that's so sad to me and i'm like i don't understand but like in grade school like i i don't know i didn't I was fine at school, but I didn't like being in class. Like I was bored. It's it's a big problem of mine. I'm bored all the time, right? So like I have to have things that like keep me engaged. And so a lot of times I would just go down. We had like a, I went to like a really small like Catholic school. Um, I, we had this like sick room that was like essentially a closet with a couch and like it was like across from like the secretary's office so they could like watch you. Realistically, you were supposed to be sick. They would call your parents, yada, yada. We got to a point where they were like, I, I, we're not calling her parents. This kid is not sick. Like, she just doesn't want to sit in the classroom. So, like, okay, fine, whatever. So, it, I would sit there and read, essentially. And I would just read all day. And, like, the the way that I got introduced to, like, even the idea of cutting was actually through my school library. Really? Where Harry Potter was banned. Really? <laughs> but I found this book. And I remember I was in fourth grade and I like didn't know what to do with myself because I was in fourth grade and you know, I don't know, life was rough. I guess, started, I don't know. You started, you started life was rough. <laughs> life was rough, I don't know. I like, I, I sometimes like, I and I've had to do a lot of work on that. I'm like validating my own experience because like if anyone looked at my life from the outside, right? Like I grew up in a really privileged situation. I went to Disney every year for my birthday. Like, mm-hmm. I, like I never had to worry about things. Like I, you know, I, I have parents that love me. Yeah, and that like that, shows that like your external situation right your external situation has nothing to do with what's going on in you yeah yeah and it's it's i there's a lot i think that like i've i've learned along the the years but like for a long time like i would even 
like say to myself like what are you making this up like are you trying to make your life like why why because like i would meet other people and i would be like oh my god no wonder you do that like that makes sense to me look at your yeah life. like for example like they have like this crazy trauma like for no, sure. no wonder you're for an addict sure. and then like with somebody who grows up like pretty privileged mm-hmm. who's always on the table roof over their head yeah for example goes to disneyland every year like, yeah it's like why would you have a substance abuse issue right that's kind of like a stigma in its own like you know what i mean yeah, yeah. and and that's it it's kind of like it's kind of the same as like you where like it wasn't until I actually got into treatment that I was like oh wait I do have trauma like now I understand why I'm running from things right and like even in that I like when I finally was like okay I'm gonna tell people like I will find like not the world right but like like come see me in an AA meeting I'm a lot more open like on things that are like in public I'm not as much just because like clients watch them um and i'm like you know i feel like there's boundaries that should be there but um you know when i finally like reached out and said like i you know this is what happened and like it it was a weird it's weird because like i looking back at my life i'm like i don't remember a lot yes like me too yeah me it's too. the weirdest thing, right? Because I have these pictures. Yeah, like, almost pictures. Right. I have pictures and I have friends. Like I have friends from still like when I was growing up. Um and, and like I'll actually use them to fact check sometimes. Like, wait, we actually did this, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is a thing. Um and so like when that stuff started coming back, I like I didn't have like full pictures, right? And so and I knew it was stuff that like people weren't going to want to hear, like people weren't going to want to acknowledge. And I remember I brought it up in a therapy session, a family therapy session, because we did that at, at the center. Um, and the, the response back was, well, I've heard, though, that sometimes if people need to like validate something, they make up experiences. And like, could that be what's happening? That, it, it happens. That yeah. does happen. Yeah. Um, and sometimes your brain can change like memories mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There was, wait, there was something I had to say. Oh, with trauma, like, mm-hmm. like there's no way I'm an addict. Like I, I grew up pretty like decently well. I would just compare my trauma to other people's. Like it's not yes. as bad as theirs. So I, yes. I don't have an issue. I haven't experienced trauma. I don't have PTSD because people have gone through so much worse. So right. that's like, mine is nothing compared to what happened to you right right and that happens all the time like we always tell i think honestly like that's one of the that was one of the biggest like benefits of of like my time in treatment was that like at the time like now they're owned by an insurance company so things look different but at the time um timberline knowles was was privately owned and it was owned by this woman named dr kim dennis she owns another place now phenomenal woman um and she I remember, like, I went in because I wasn't owning everything, right? Like, I yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. Eh. denial about a few yeah, things. Yeah, like, I'm like, well, this isn't really here. And, like, I just have to deal with this. And, like, the self-harm should probably kick it. Like, you know, we, we'll figure <laughs> it out. Um, and I remember, like, part of the, so we were only separated by age, right? So, like, we were, there were adult lodges and then there was an adolescent lodge. That was the only separation. It was also all female, but... Um, there was not separation on like, these are your disordered eating people. These are your substance people. These are, you know, like whatever. But it was like, it was everybody. And I remember like people would, 
including myself, be like, I don't belong here with this. <gasps> like, what do you like? What do you mean? I don't belong with this. I'm not this way. Like, what do you mean? And I remember like, and that's the part where like, you, like we were talking about in the beginning with like the stigma thing, like within ourselves, right? Of like yeah. not being able to like own that part yet. But yeah. like also like trying to like do that comparison of like, well, I'm not that bad and I don't belong with this part, right? Yeah. Like I'm not going to the hospital because of my eating disorder. I don't belong here with this, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. And like, I remember Dr. Kim, like there was a conversation like on our whole lodge, like about it, where she said like, she was like, the reason that we don't separate is because you are all the same. It's really like the same thinking yes. and thought process, yes. really. Yeah. yeah, and then like we're, I'm say I'm just, going into treatment for substance abuse, I'm going to stigmatize somebody that has right. like schizophrenia, for example. Right, right. Yeah. And that's, and I remember her saying like, we do not separate you because you are all the same. Mm -hmm. You just chose to respond differently. Yeah. And Different like, coping skills. Yeah. And it was such like a game changing moment for me. And I think honestly, like what really helps me in like, even my career now is like, I I can look at a client and I do not care what your maladaptive coping skill is. Mm -hmm. I don't care what your like diagnosis says, things like that. They're obviously all important to know and, and to develop treatment, but like I can see you as a human. Yeah. Because like when when she like broke that down, I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like everybody here. And then like after I remember after that conversation, like several of us, I think there were like 20 some of us on the lodge. Um had like conversations about like oh wait like that is like when we share in groups like we actually are the same but like you chose to purge and i chose to cut or like you know you chose drugs and i chose whatever else you know like it like that was really a game changer yeah so when you went to treatment that was the beginning of you working on your mental health yeah and substance abuse so i had been <laughs> i had been like in therapy and seeing a psychiatrist since middle school. Mm -hmm. um, How did I, that come about? Um, I, I mean, I think that it, this is one of the weird parts because like, that's the part where I say like, I don't remember a lot, right? Mm. And so I know weird things would happen. Like for example, my like, my my dad's mom and dad, uh, like my grandma and my papa, like they were my everything. And so like, I didn't go to like daycare or anything like growing up, like until I went, I had to test into first grade because like I stayed at their house. Like that was, you know, what I did. And um, I remember when my papa died, like I refused to go to school for a period of time. Um, and so like, there's like, there's things that I look back now and I'm like, oh, there, there were warning signs. There were signs, but I like, then I don't, remember like i remember pieces of things but there's like other parts that i'm like were you just like dissociating your entire life like what just what happened like and so i don't remember i i imagine that it was probably just you know like I, before cutting like my mom used to tell me that like i would like pull my hair out and stuff like mm. when i was like really little um and so you know, I mean, I think that like there, there was probably always just a level of like also like irritability and just like I, like I hate everything. Overall discontent. Yeah, yeah, like that whole like restless irritable discontent thing of like 
programs. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, like a hundred percent. And so I think that it was probably just also like there is mental health stuff in the family, right? And so I think that people were probably just like well-intentioned and were like, we're starting to see some flags and like we should send her. Um, and so I remember like my, you know, my parents tried also like, I am, I think it came like in between like, like Columbine, even though I was not in Columbine, clearly, thankfully, um, had like a massive impact on me. And I was like terrified to go to school. Dude, that affected so many people. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I remember the, there was a school shooting in, in Florida and that made me like, when I was my a freshman in high school, mm-hmm. that like, I was, I went to school every day paranoid. Yeah. 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 And I went to this super small, like Catholic school, right? Like everybody knew everybody. Most of the families there had some kind of military connection of some sort. Like, so like, I mean, I can't say that you ever really like expect it, you know? Like, yeah. I don't think that there's like, oh, I expect it in this specific one. But yeah. like, you really don't expect it in like that scenario, right? And so like, I had no reason to actually be like terrified. And then I was. Um, and like, I remember like, I, like I, was always scared like even to this day like i just did a a career fair thing for my um job last week and we were on a campus and like one of my friends that i work with went there and i was like where do you hide and she was like wait what but she's also been like she's been in a shooting and so like she was like oh i know where i'll tell you but like that's like i i don't like that's the anxiety that like i like i think about it all the time yeah i'm like how do you get out (laughs) yeah it's like a it's almost like a paranoia and just like overall fear thing yeah yeah and so like that happened and then 9 11 because my dad travels all the time um for work and like internationally obviously within the states things like that and he was gone on 9-11 um mm. he had tower or he had uh, an office in the towers and so like his really? company like they lost a lot of people um and thankfully he was in florida um and i just but i i remember like i was in eighth grade and i remember they like they turned on the tvs again because like a lot of these families were military right so like it was definitely going to impact us um and i i remember like the tv was on and i was like oh my god my dad like i didn't know that he was in florida so like i was like oh my god is like is my dad there and then like nobody because there was no at that point in time like emergency prepared plan thing like who would have thought you know Mm -hmm. again um and so cell phones and stuff like weren't connecting and so like we couldn't get a hold of him like nobody knew like what was going on and I just like I that for a really long time like that also I mean I still get like scared when my dad travels and like he does it all the time I'm a lot more like calm about it now but like there I I remembered like that shifted a lot in like my life because then like his company grounded like everybody essentially because like nobody knew what was going on obviously international travel was impacted isn't that when uh the air the airplane security got more yeah more crazy yeah Yeah. and so like they and also because of the amount of people that they lost and stuff like they were like all right we got to regroup and and do whatever and so Mm -hmm. my dad started like working from home Mm -hmm. um and that like also like shifted everything because I went from like having a dad that traveled Monday through Friday to like, now I have a dad full time in the house and he's working. And so like everything like 
shifted. And so I think people probably just thought like, we should get this girl some help. She seems like she's going through a lot. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't, like, I didn't see a point to it. Did you, did you experience any stigmas growing up with like going to therapy? Not, so, well, yes and no. So like, I would definitely have like, not within the family necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone, you know, it, w- it would be kind of one of those things where I would be like, this person needs some help, but like, they're not getting it right. Um, but it was never like, no, you shouldn't. It was just kind of like, well, I'm not going to, right? Um, and I, you know, I know that like, there had been some therapy, like with, like my mom had been to therapy, but like, I never really like hurt, like it wasn't like talked about, like normalized, you know? Um, but it wasn't, there was no like stigma with it. But I remember like when I was in high school, um, and I went to a small Lutheran high school and like, I was hitting a breaking point and like, it was like a lot of like really dark thoughts, like a lot of the self-harm, like all that stuff was like really ramped up. And I had, um, we had, you know, religion classes cause it was Lutheran. And, um, I was, I, I was close with like the, the teacher for my senior religion class. Yeah. And because we were so small, like it was normal that like you would like hang out with these people and stuff, you know, like that was what you did. Um, and I was also doing like, you know, like I was trying to do all the things that like people tell you, like get you back on track. And so like, I was going to like Bible study on the weekend and I would like go to church and like, I would do all these things. I was involved in all these things. And I went to him and I remember I said, like, I was like, I I don't like, I I was, it was actually like one of the first people I was fully like honest with and said, like, this is everything that's going on. And like, I don't, I don't know how I'm managing this. Like, I don't know like what I do. And his response was, well, have you spent enough time in the word? And I was like, I'm sorry. In the ward? Yeah, like in the Bible. Oh. Yeah. And not to discount any of that, because I do think that like religion and things like that, like I, like I identify as Christian, like I still, like I go to church and stuff like that. But like, I also don't think that that's the only thing that can help you when you're struggling significantly with like mental health and stuff, right? Yes. I think it's a piece of it. It's it's not the whole solution. Yeah, exactly. Very (laughs) true. Yeah. And so like when he said that to me, I remember I was super like caught off guard and I like, I was like, but I'm at school every day, which means I'm in religion class every day. I also go to chapel every day. I'm going to church. I'm in a Bible study. And you still feel sick. Yeah. I'm like, what else? Like my life is still spiraling. What do I do? Um, And so like, that was probably the first time that I hit like a like the biggest stigma part behind it. Yeah. Um, You know, everybody else, there was no necessarily like, there was not like necessarily like a stigma. It wasn't like being talked about in like a positive way, but there wasn't like any kind of like discouragement yeah, for it. Yeah, or like discrimination. Right, right. Versus like when I showed up there and that, and I was kind of like, I like, what else am I supposed, what do you mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't, this isn't fixing it. Um. And it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's an interesting, like, it's interesting to like reflect back on because like years later, my cousin ended up going to the same high school. Um, and she was like, oh my God, like, it's like, that was like, 
it still happens. And I was like, wait, what? Like, and it's not the school as a whole, like it's like that person. But, um, you know, I, I think that was the part where I first like actually hit stigma and was like, oh my God, like, okay. And then I just shut down yeah. because I was like, well, if I'm not like, you know, if I'm reaching out, like it took a lot to like admit that to people, especially mm -hmm. like feeling like always having this feeling of like, you're going to be in trouble. And then like to finally admit all that stuff and like that's the response like yeah i didn't get in trouble but i also like you know in a way it didn't was feel almost, seen you didn't feel yeah, seen. yeah i like there was no actual solution it was like i'll find you some like verses that you can yeah, study yeah, yeah, and yeah. i was like I i've read this like i'm in your class all the time dude like i don't know what you're talking about um yeah. and so like that was you know like that was a big thing. And so then, you know, it was a few years later and, and finally like in, you know, at Timberline Knowles is when- How old were you when you went there? 25. Oh yeah, 25. Yeah, yeah, my quarter life crisis yeah, yeah, yeah. on point. Yeah. Um, Like I had a therapist that, you know, after, like, as I mentioned, I you know, I was working at Victoria's Secret um, and it was a group of the women that I was working with there that called my parents and said like, Ugh, there's stuff happening. And like, that took a lot of balls for them. Like, honestly, like I'm an adult. Like they could have easily been like, ooh, yikes. Yeah, like you I'm know? not gonna try and help her out. Like she's an adult, she can figure it out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Or just like, you know, am I overstepping? Cause yeah. like, there's a lot of, like you're my coworker, you know? And like, you're a grown adult and like, I'm calling your parents. And so it took a lot of, and I'm very like thankful for them now that they did that. Um, at the time I was like, what the hell, <laughs> but, um, for me to get treatment, it took me getting three DUIs, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's Everybody, just like, sometimes it's just circumstances or people, certain people are placed in your life at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And that's like, now I'm like, I look back and I'm like, wow, like you genuinely like cared about me as a mm -hmm. person or else like you wouldn't have done that. Right. Cause you could have just fired me mm -hmm. and been like, bye. Like she's, not, mental, she's not mentally right, stable right. enough to work here. Best of luck. <laughs> and like sent me on my way. And like, you didn't like, they even offered me a job when I came back from treatment and uh, you know, I didn't take it. Cause then I recognized how like impactful the like disordered eating world. And that was for me. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, the nonprofit you kind of work for. Yeah. A little bit. So what is that? Yeah. So they're called This Must Be The Place. They're based out of Ohio. Um, got connected with them through a friend who was like, you're sitting around and you don't do well when you're not busy. And she works in the music industry. And she was like, "I this one keeps popping up at like these festivals and stuff with like other producers and things she works at mm -hmm. or works with. And um, she was like, you know, why don't you like reach out to them and, and see like what's up? Like they're small, maybe they're looking to expand, you know, whatever. And I was just kind of like, okay. But like there had been like a bunch of stuff that like happened and I was kind of like in my own like depression world. Yeah. Uh, and she was like, I just need you out of this. And yeah. like, you have a passion for this. And so like, I need you to like do something. I take her advice for everything. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I reached out, um, got connected with them. They were super like, even though obviously I'm very far away from Ohio, um, they were super open with like, yeah, let's figure out how do we work together? Like, what do we do? Like we are looking to expand. Um, and so they've been really, really helpful with like, I'll be able to go out. I've gone to some like schools. I've gone to some treatment centers um, and done 
overdose training um, and naloxone training. And they're really great about like, hey, where are you doing it? Like sent me the naloxone for it so that I can give it to the people that were training. Um, and right now they are doing, I, I want to say it's 26 festivals across the U.S. this summer, awesome. um, handing out naloxone. So they are on the road yeah. and, and popping up in a city near you. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, like just very like genuine, like down to earth, like people trying to do good things. Um, and I've really appreciated how like they they jumped on board and, and there wasn't even like they're like no let's get it i was like well what do you need from me though because like i understand you're sending me like naloxone is expensive yeah and so and like, it's really cool that all these nonprofits are like kind of just giving them out for free and yeah. like, the free training and everything yeah and that's what like that's actually one of like the questions that i get the most because like i don't it's kind of just like word of mouth of like somebody being like, hey, this girl knows what to do. And then like, I get a random call or text from someone and and they're like, hey, can you come and do this? And how much do you want? And I was like, it's not a, I, I'm not looking for money. Like that's, that's not the intention. Um, and so it, it's just kind of like a, a word of mouth thing that my CEO has been really supportive of. So that, that's been really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like, I, I genuinely like value that nonprofit because like I'm like you're sending out boxes of like naloxone which is expensive to some person across the country yeah. and being like I trust you <laughs> yeah it's pretty um, cool and so you know that's been that's been really really great and and they're out there just trying to like get it into the hands of people and like I said just like really down to earth sharing like their own stories and um why it's something that's passionate for them and and trying to connect with like others in the community for volunteers and stuff at the festivals and get it out there yeah so yeah it's pretty exciting yeah and there's a dog there's a so there's a dog yeah. is there anything you want to put out there for in terms of like mental health or substance abuse or anything there's so many things honestly like i think the biggest thing that i always try to share with people um whether it be like at a meeting or at work or wherever is something that like somebody said to me way back um when i was first like trying to get my own recovery started um and it was just show up and so like for me what that means is like no matter what's happening whether you feel like you're having a good day you're having a bad day you you don't know what's happening you know you have a lot of anxiety just show up because you don't know what could happen right mm -hmm. and it can't get better if you don't at least come back. And I think that like, that's one of the biggest things that I share with like clients is like, you know, even if you relapse, like I'm just as proud of you for walking back in that door and being like, okay, we're gonna start over as I am when you were like, hey, I just got 90 days. For sure. Right? Like just show up.